Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in San Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Jane Wong is the author of Meet Me Tonight in Atlantic City, a memoir. Jane Wong's debut memoir, Meet Me Tonight in Atlantic City, is out now from Tin House. She is also the author of two poetry collections, How Not to Be Afraid of Everything and Over Poor. A restaurant baby, she grew up in a Chinese-American takeout restaurant on the Jersey Shore and is an associate professor at Western Washington University, where she teaches creative writing and Asian-American literature. She is also an interdisciplinary artist, and her most recent exhibition was Nourish at the Richmond Art Gallery in 2022. Welcome, Jane. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Meet Me Tonight in Atlantic City. Thanks, Sibby. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, okay. Can you tell listeners a little bit about your memoir and even why you decided to write a memoir to begin with? 
That's a great question. Oh, goodness. Um, I'm a poet, kind of, I guess, like, I don't know, in my deepest heart, I suppose. And so writing memoir was pretty scary for me moving into nonfiction because you can't hide behind a metaphor, I suppose. <laughs> um, so the book kind of began as kind of an extension of my poems. I think a little bit of the stories that are hidden within them and kind of really fleshed out and given more breath, given more um, space to roam. And I guess how I would try to describe like what the memoir is, is a bit of a, a love song, I suppose, to my mother, for sure. But also what it means to kind of grow up, you know, low income, working class, you know, Chinese American immigrant baby and trying to make do with what you have. And certainly the story kind of starts with my father's gambling addiction and the time he spent in Atlantic City, which I just spent time in Atlantic City this past week. It was my first time going back in over 20 years. Oh my so gosh. It's really emotional <laughs> and kind of what happens to our family as a result of really this desire to to kind of make something of someone's life, the American dream, all of that coming crashing down and rebuilding and resilience and what happens to, I guess, adult me too. I, I definitely didn't want this to be a book that was just situated in a very specific moment in time, but rather thinking about the past, the present and the future, because I, I do take some, I think some risks in memoir, such as creating a character <laughs> who kind of exists in the future space. Her name is wongmom.com, but yeah, there's a lot in this book, but it's central core, really, truly, it's a love song to my mom, which everything is, I guess, that I write, so... Oh, <laughs> hey. well, you really write in such a gripping way. I mean, and it's no surprise that you're a poet because you're the way that you write each sentence even is just so beautiful. And the length of the sentence, like the construction of them, like it's all clearly very thought out. And I don't know, it was great. I read a lot of memoir and this was particularly on the sentence level, just like so done. That's from, I'm, I can't even make a sentence today. So there you go as <laughs> contrast. But what struck me, you know, right away is, is you as a young girl, just so sad really, and watching your mom and trying to like understand that what is happening is perhaps not what is supposed to be happening, that, that you're not supposed to have your dad go for benders for days on end and have your mom just be on the beach with you and being like, oh, I don't know where he is. I, trying to like having to pull him out and then him just disappearing basically from your life for so long and having to come to terms with that. And you obviously go into your feelings, but it's not something that can be just like put aside lightly, right? Which is probably why you're still revisiting it now and going, you know, all of that. So tell me a little bit more about the sort of lingering effect of your even your dad's relationship. And I know it's a love letter to your mom, but, you know, right. by contrast. Yeah, I think, you know, it's really interesting in thinking about, you know, my mother as my everything, you know, in my life. And I just recently um, spent a lot of time at home and I'm back in Seattle now, but to be in her garden space and to see all those vegetables just like thriving and growing and what we can make out of something that I suppose was so difficult. You know, she was arranged to marry my father. He was a stranger to her and it was kind of her, you know, ticket out of, you know, uh, the rural countryside in, in China and out of poverty really. And so 
when she came to the this country, my father was this figure of like potential hope, you know? And what occurred obviously was estrangement and a lot of other, you know, really difficult things that she tried to try to shield me from, I think, as a young child. And so in many ways, I think my father becomes this, this character because in many ways I don't I don't know him. You know, I I haven't had him in my life since I was a small child. And so what was really difficult, I think, in writing the memoir was to be, you know, honest and true and real about the damage that he's done to our family and what it means, what estrangement means, right, to a small child, but also to an entire family unit. Um, in terms of my own relationships later in life, there's a stream of terrible ex-boyfriends <laughs> in this memoir. I, you know, I was so worried about people being like, oh, she has daddy issues, right, which is so messed up in terms of being such a gendered idea um, and thinking about, you know, familial trauma. But yet, so I actually write about it directly because I was so afraid that people were going to just dismiss me as that, when in fact, it's so much more complicated than than that. But I think that my father becomes this almost like larger than life character because he, he you know, isn't in my life. And so again, the hardest thing was to to be true and real about the, the kind of domino effect of what happened um, when he left our family, but also create a lot of empathy for him and a lot of forgiveness and a lot of care. At the end of the, you know, opening chapter, I, I do imagine strolling with him on the boardwalk when he's in his 90s and hoping for that reconciliation. And I think that that's, that's like, what I can do, I think, even though he's not in my life as a daughter, that I I still I still hold a lot of affection for him and care and hope for him and you know what life he's had for himself. So it's it's a it's an emotional ride. I will tell you that you know this this memoir was incredibly vulnerable to write, and I I thought to myself, you know, if I'm going to do this, I might as well give all of myself to it, mostly because I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I have another one in me. It's like what I'm trying to say. Like it was, it it kind of took so much out of me, but also it gave so much back to me um, by the time I finished writing this. And, you know, to record the audiobook, for instance, was so powerful since my mom can listen to it. And, you know, it, it feels really special. This is this is the first book she's read of mine, even though I've had, you know, two collections of poetry before. But I think there's something about writing in prose that I think offers a bit more, I don't know, like it's a little more accessible in some ways in terms of like storytelling, um, a little more direct. And even though, thank you for your kind words about the the lyricism in on the sentence level. And I will say that I, I so badly wanted to write every sentence with meter and mm-hmm. like in rhythm. And, and I, I had to let go of some of it because like you can't sustain it for 300 pages, but I tried my best, <laughs> but I also loved being back in scene and doing scene work and dialogue. And, you know, even though, you know, this is nonfiction, there's still so much to do in terms of the multifaceted ways we can describe, you know, the characters or the real people in our lives, including myself, which was hard, but to kind of really take a close look at like who, who I am, who I've grown to be and will be. Again, I feel like there's so much in this book that is written all the way up to the immediate present to the degree in which I, I think I wrote up to the the minute in my life until I handed my final, you know, notes to my editor, which is a big risk, I think, because memoir sometimes takes place in a, 
like a certain time in one's life. Whereas this one kind of went all the way up to the, to the minute, including my, you know, ex-fiance. So (laughs) I did the same thing. I wrote a memoir bookends and every time it came back for like the final copy edits, I was like, I'm just going to write another little paragraph. (laughs) add another thing or two here because this is what's happened since so yeah it's right it's like never ending in many ways to Mm -hmm. kind of like try to make the constellations you know the the connections from what's happening at this very moment to all the other kind of moments and scenes and memories that happen in the book as you're writing them but I certainly feel like I it almost feels like whatever, 10 years from now, looking back at this, I wonder, you know, I wonder what I would think about this version of myself then too, because it's also a time capsule too, in some ways as well. Well, to your point of you're not sure you can do it again. I feel like once you tell, this is just my two cents, but once you Mm -hmm. tell that like fundamental thing that like you have to write about, Mm -hmm. then subsequent memoirs become unless there's another life-changing thing that happens, right? That mm-hmm. You're not compelled to write it. Like, it has to be something like, mm-hmm. like your dog, your, or it's a different lens completely, right? Mm-hmm. My relationship with dogs or something. But that's not like a memoir in the same mm-hmm. way as these, I don't know. So I feel like there's always one fundamental memoir per person, like of their whole like root. And then there can be subsequent. You know oh, what I mean? I like that. I like that. The roots and yeah, the kind of tendrils, that kind yeah. of spiral out into another sprout. I like yeah. that. Yeah. There yeah. we go. Okay. Tendrils and sprouts. We're on a roll here. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, the poet, the weird poet. I always do this. I always, to always like, you know, talking these like, you know, strange <laughs> metaphors and no, yeah. No. Well, you also though taught me a lot because I've been to Atlantic city a couple of times actually wow. for, I've stayed at the revel when it was mm. built. You wrote about that in the book. <laughs> I actually went there once and I was pregnant and I like, I'm like, I don't even ask it. I was like dragged there. So oh uh, I spent the whole time like reading in my room, which was actually pretty because it was right on the water. So I right. just like sat on the bed and like a beach whale and, and read my book and oh. that was it. But anyway, it had some good restaurants, I have to say. But anyway, I've been to Atlantic City. I did not know the history of why boardwalks were even boardwalks with the wood mm. planks and how they used mm-hmm. to come off at night and get mm-hmm. stored away. And it was so that taxi drivers didn't ha- and like cars didn't have to get sand in yeah. them from the beach. That's so cool. Like <laughs> who thought of that? I mean, I don't know. I never would have known that had I not read your book. So there you go. <laughs> so I like how you mixed in or the rise and fall, if you will, of Atlantic City with your own narrative. Oh, yes. I feel like that city in particular, and again, I I just returned after 20 odd years to Atlantic City, which I will say was such a homecoming. Like it was so generous. I I feel like my entire memory or kind of like, um, I don't know, has been like changed a bit as a result of this most recent visit because it was like kind of a reprise, you know, like we went, when we went there, obviously my father was being brought there to kind of like, you know, gambled, we would get like free hotel rooms and it was just kind of this, you know, really predatory act of, uh, you know, on behalf of casinos to target specifically, I feel like low-income Asian American families. And so, you know, I, as a kid, we didn't have much money and my father was going into debt. And so my mom never let me play any boardwalk games. And it was so sad because you imagine like just being a kid and just like walking down the boardwalk and being like, no ice cream for you, no like game. And so, because we just didn't have 
the money. And my mom was like, don't, we can't waste it on that. We need to, you know, use it for food. And, you know, and so going back just last week um, onto the boardwalk and finally my mom giving me a few dollar bill and playing like the claw game and like boardwalk games. It was the cutest thing. And it was one of those moments where like the whole city has changed for me in my mind. It's like, now I feel like it's, you know, that, you know, so many wonderful, I met so many wonderful people in Atlantic City are trying to really um, continue the tradition of, you know, a lot of the restaurants that are still there and to to be so proud to be from a place that's both very gritty, you know, but also at the same time, like still holds a lot of, you know, beauty and the ocean, you know, the ocean's still there. And I think that that's just so special. But yeah, it was, it was a hard memory. I couldn't go into the Caesar's Palace. Like it, I just stood there and that's the one that my father yep. went to the yep. most. And they put us up, um, Mighty Writers, a wonderful organization that supports young writers, invited me out and my mom to Atlantic City. And they put us up in the Tropicana Hotel. Uh, oh. And to to walk through the casino, it was, it was pretty emotional, but it definitely was, you know, we decided, my mom and I decided to play the slot machine just once because we've never gambled. Neither of us have ever gambled before. And just to kind of almost like clear the, mm-hmm. let's just try, so we were trying to really make this uh, our story versus my father's. So anyway, yes, the rebel, all the history, did a lot of research. Um, wait, wait, what happened? Did you win the the game? Oh, the definitely slots? not. We oh. didn't even know how to play. It was kind of embarrassing. Oh my, I was waiting for like, and then we hit the jackpot. And no, it was this we, perfect full circle moment. No, we lost $3. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but we couldn't even figure out how to play. Like it was too many lights, too many. We literally were staring at it. It was like, how are people doing this? Like we don't, know what to do. And so we just left and, you know, got ice cream or something like that. But it was cute. It was a really powerful return. But I can't believe you stayed at the Rebel. That's... <laughs> yeah. Twice. 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 Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wait, I mean, it's not that far from New York, you know, for, for an escape. And anyway, too funny. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
So tell me about the act of actually like sitting down and writing this. Did you cry? Did you like, what was it like? Where did you do it? How long did it take you? Like, give me the, give me a a mental picture of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the book began as essays. Like there are a few singular essays that were now, there are now chapters. Uh, I think I began this in 2017. So not too long ago, but a a chunk ago. And it really began with meet me tonight in Atlantic city. Um, but also, you know, the, the cheat sheet for restaurant babies too, was kind of an early one as well. And I was writing these kind of singular essays at the time with like this hope of, finding a way to braid them later, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And it was a little intimidating for me, I think, as someone who's coming from a poetry background. And I was realizing, I was like, I have pages, like I have space I can kind of, you know, (laughs) put in research. And so for me, it was really a a delight to be able to kind of like take my time. You can write a poem in a day. You can write a poem in an hour if you really want to, or maybe 15 minutes, but you certainly can't write an essay or a chapter of a memoir in that short period of time. It's just not doable. So that started um, kind of there. And I, you know, when I kind of worked with Tin House on the book later, this was like December of 2021, the only like 90, 90 pages of the book were written. And so I wrote the rest of it really very quickly. And I, it's funny when I think about how long the f- like first 90 pages kind of took and then like what happens later is that it was all in my, you know, my head and my heart. Like it was like pouring out of me. It was, it was kind of so visceral. I, I definitely avoided certain chapters uh the harder ones I saved the hardest ones to write last mm. you know and so I feel, I feel like I saved the object of love last uh certainly the last chapter to even writing about writing that was hard <laughs> which is funny because I make all my students write about writing and so it was definitely a lot of yeah definitely a lot of crying but also a lot of laughing I actually I probably laughed more than I cried while writing this book because I just wanted to give myself that like joy of some of the goofy, goofier moments in in the book. There was a lot of phone calls with fam, like my mom, certainly. Sometimes when I was stumped to write like a particular moment or scene, I would just call her and then I would just ask her a very, very broad question, which was, tell me something I don't know. <laughs> and she would just like be like, oh, you know, this happened to me. And then I would write it in like into literally whatever I was like stumped on. And so Mm. that happened a lot. I ate a lot of snacks while I was writing this book. I feel like I'm the type of writer who has to have like about like five different bowls of like snacks when I'm writing. And while I like to think I like to write on a desk or anything, I always write in bed. And so it actually becomes quite messy. I'll be honest, because you're just like, there's Cheez-Its like in my bed. So <laughs> that's me writing the book ultimately is like, you know, writing in bed, which is again, not great for my back or anything, but I, I for some reason I am, I am drawn to this like cozy space. I've tried writing. I, I sometimes write on a desk, but it's, it's just not my, my thing. And a lot of the things that happened while writing the book is uh, very immersive. And so for instance, I, you know, when I was writing the end of To Love a Mosquito and I didn't know how to end that particular chapter about my brother, I I, ca- I did, I called him up and I said, I, I love him. And ha- I ended it that way by actually calling him and telling him I love him, which is something I've never said out loud to him. Like, you know, and so it was like, sometimes writing the book was like, again, like calling my mom, calling my brother was to make it 
happen. Like there was a lot of immersive writing as well. So, but immersive writing, snacks, research, poetry, <laughs> all those things. And and sometimes, sometimes a glass of wine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the truth comes out. Wine yeah. and cheez Get you to the Wine and cheez Get with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's amazing. Tell me about the tour you just got back from. Where did you go and what was it like? And were there questions asked that really stumped you? Or mm-hmm. was there something you found yourself really loving talking about? Or just tell me what was expected, not expected? Thanks, Zibby. I feel like oh. uh, it's been kind of a blur. <laughs> I was a little bit of everywhere, obviously here in the Pacific Northwest, Seattle, Portland, Bellingham, where I teach. And I went to the Bay Area, uh, LA, Iowa City, which was kind of a, a fun but intense return, I guess, back to where I did my MFA at Iowa. And of course, like my New York, you know, New Jersey kind of part of the tour too. I think the most emotional part of the tour was definitely this latter half in, you know, New York City and New Jersey. I had a few readings in Brooklyn and New York City's Chinatown. And again, Atlantic City, Jersey City. And I will say that being in New York City's Chinatown at You and Me Books was really emotional because I used to go to Chinatown all the time as a kid and reading at this beautiful, you know, Asian American owned bookstore, you and me, it was like, it was so cozy, you know, and I feel like the whole vibe of that particular reading got really vulnerable immediately. And some of the questions were really, and conversations were about kind of like writing from, you know, archives that are incomplete. And it got deep really quickly, I think, that conversation, which was so moving. Obviously, as I mentioned, Atlantic City visit was like phenomenal. Actually, you know, Mighty Writers, um, they hosted me and they actually had a youth group who does uh, a lot of traditional Chinese dances, Dynasty Alliance, and a bunch of like young young people like did a dragon dance and fan dance. It was so on, on behalf of the book and it felt like, just such a, you know, generous kind of event. Um, but I will say that uh, I have to say, give a shout out. I think the whole tour, the highlight for sure is having my mom on tour with me for some of it. Um, so she came out to Elliott Bay Bookstore in Seattle where I live and she launched with me as my one of my conversation partners. And I will say that the end of the reading, I didn't cry the whole reading. I somehow made it through. And at the end, I got emotional because my my best friend, Michelle Penulosa, who also uh, hosted me at Elliott Bay, asked a question about labor and work. And the book is also a lot about work, like, at, yeah, it's fundamental core. And I started to cry because I was like, my mom still, you know, works night shift at the USPS. And I, you know, I was just like, she's, you know, I worry about her all the time, like work overworking herself. And so she stops me and she says like, mommy is strong. Don't forget that. And she literally picks me up, literally physically picks me up and spins me around her like massive muscles. And she's like, I'm strong. Don't worry about me. And like, everybody just starts screaming. It was like, (laughs) it was so emotional. And she's such a hand. She's so funny. And so she was my conversation. So she was on tour with me in Seattle, but also in my Jersey events. So she was there and then she was kind of like a mini, as she should be, moms are celebrities. So 
<laughs> it was very special to have her on stage with me for quite a few events. So that's definitely a highlight for sure. <laughs> wow. That is so special. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, the other day I saw this man like on top of a ladder, like trimming this bush or like doing something with the electrical wires. I don't, I don't know what was going on, but he was all like hunched over. And I'm like, this is so awful that our mm-hmm. this is the state of our country that you have mm-hmm. to keep working yep. until the end of your life, essentially. I mean, it's just, anyway, it was one of those moments. <laughs> it's, it's really hard because, you know, as somebody, and the book really kind of speaks to a lot of my discomfort with my upward mobility too. I'm a professor and, you know, there's one chapter, oh my gosh, the name of it, Snow, Gloom, Rain, Pandemic, Gloom of Night. <laughs> It's just, you know, it's the idea that obviously the postal service delivers no matter what. And there's something about like at the very beginning of lockdown and the pandemic where I could work from home. I have the privilege to work from home, even though it was difficult, of course, teaching uh, online. But my mom was not, you know, she's an essential worker. She had to go to the facility and I was so worried about, you know, masking and everything. I was, and, you know, I somehow got my vaccine before she was eligible to get her vaccine. And it just, it just like all of that. So yes, like I feel a lot of deep feelings about what does it mean to be, you know, the, the daughter of somebody who's clearly worked so hard in so many physical, physical labor. And yet here I am, you know, feeling so, you know, privileged in in what it means to have this education and to be able to write. My mom is the original writer. She's the original poet um, because she's a storyteller, right? But she, because I'm the first in my family to even graduate traditional high school, it's like, you know, who was able to to actually be a writer in terms of, you know, language skills and, and you know, the privilege to to kind of have that time to write. I don't know. I think about that a lot. And I think about what it means to to kind of follow your creative desires as, as a working parent. And I know for a fact that she's, you know, now I think making a lot of space for that for her mm-hmm. own life because, you know, her kids are grown and whatnot. And she's, she's now like, she's, all her time is spent in the garden. All her time is like spent hanging out with friends, storytelling. Aww. She's a writer, you know? <laughs> but she's never written. So it's it's on paper, you know, but she's a storyteller. So I I, I want to really emphasize that I really think that writing is not, is about storytelling at the end of the day. It's it's all for me coming from a family of oral storytellers. Like it's, um, it, it, to me, yes, I wrote it down on paper, but these are not all my stories, you know? So I think about that a lot, but. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Jane, congratulations. So exciting. Thank you for sharing those details uh, with me and the listeners and everything. So congratulations and no pressure to write another one. You go back to doing whatever you love and keep being a poet and all that great stuff. So um, that means a lot. Thank you for your generosity and just like sharing a bit about your own kind of, I don't know, journey to, you know, as a as a as a writer, but also as a person just like moving through the world, I feel like it's like such a oh, bewildering time, I think. And I feel like if anything, writing or doing anything creative has kept me really grounded in like, I don't know, seeing what's beautiful, even when there's something so terrifying in the world. So I don't know. I definitely, well, I will always be writing poems, you know, but I, I'm dreaming up I'm dreaming up other things, maybe even a novel. I don't know. I, I'm, always, I'm always tinkering with things. I also do ceramics. So I'm definitely going to do more of that this year. But yeah, just thank you so much for 
all your beautiful questions and for reading. And yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome. All right. Have a great day. Thanks so much. Okay. Bye, Jane. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com